Jesus, we praise you in this place. Jesus, we thank you for your saving grace. We thank you for your endless love from which we can never be separated. Lord, we love you. We worship you. And we want to again come into this moment ready to surrender all of our lives to you. In this moment, Lord, again as your people, we want to be at a place in your presence where, Lord, we lay our lives down freely as you laid your life down. And we ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would help us, you would strengthen us, and you would take us into all of the wonderful life dimensions that you have planned for every single one here today. Not one above another, but your intention and your purpose and your plan for each one of us, from the greatest to the least, is magnificent, is wonderful. And I ask, Holy Spirit, as Paul prayed for the Ephesians church, that you would open the eyes of our understanding, that we might have a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Christ Jesus. This knowledge we can't learn in school. This knowledge is not acquired in a college or a university. This revelation, this knowledge, this wisdom comes as a direct result of encountering you in all of your beauty, in all of your glory, in all of your wonder. Seeing you, Jesus, as you are in heaven. So are we on this earth. Lord, we ask you in these days that we would encounter you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, prepare our lives for such an encounter. Open our hearts let them be believing hearts. Let them be like David's heart, following hard after the Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. Because this is why you have purchased us and shed your own blood. Our lives are no longer our own. Thank God for that. They're not just going to turn out any old how, how this world would desire them to turn out. Our lives now, because they're not our own, are going to be a glorious thing are going to be a beautiful thing, are going to be a wonderful thing. It's going to reflect God's glory. We're going from faith to faith, glory to glory. We're being conformed to the very image of Christ Jesus. The very character of Jesus is being stamped and imprinted. We're being redesigned, reshaped. We're brand new creatures. All things have passed away and we give you glory in your presence. We give you honor. We give you, no employer could do what you've done, Jesus. No, no wage or no earnings that this world could give, could even come near to what you freely give to each and every one of us. So we want to thank you. We want to praise you. Oh God, you're awesome. Oh God, let us again sense the awesomeness of your glory every moment of every day. Let us once again walk under a conscious understanding that your eyes are upon us. 
a conscious understanding that you're near us never leaving never forsaking always with Lord we pray because Lord under that consciousness our lives flourish our lives bloom we ask it in Jesus name for your glory and all God's people said Amen. Come on, let's give Jesus a shout. You can take your seats. Let's thank our musicians. They've done fantastic this morning. Absolutely wonderful. What a great morning we're having together today. It's going to be wonderful. I'm telling you now, God is going to speak to us by His Holy Spirit. And He is going to seed our hearts with His Word. I really believe that. And I'm asking the Holy Spirit to open our hearts so that God's Word would, would be the dominant thought in our minds. And not only a thought, not only a hearing of the ear, but like James said, we would be doers of the Word. We would take hold of the Word that God speaks to us today by His Holy Spirit. And as we read the Scriptures, we would take hold of this living Word this abiding word that lasts forever and we would embrace it in our lives and we would ask the Holy Spirit to empower us to do that. We've been talking over the last few weeks about the essential ingredient to building a healthy church. The essential ingredient necessary to building a successful, glorious life. How many want a successful life? How many people today want to have a glorious life, a wonderful life? Not just a get-by mundane life, but something that reflects God's glory. Something that reflects God's nature. Something that is a picture of God in motion. As you go through your way in this world, as you walk down into the future, as you meet situation after situation, God does not want any one of us to be retreating on the back heel. God wants our lives to be a glorious picture, a glorious understanding of who He is in heaven and for the world to see it. That's what Jesus said, you will be like a light you will be like a city on a hill, and it will be a glorious, attractive picture for people to see, for people to behold, but not only for them to behold, for them to come and receive from you. God has designed our lives. God has destined our lives for greatness. And we looked at the essential ingredient for life the essential ingredient for living, it is love. Ro Paul in Romans chapter 5 verse 5 talked about the Holy Spirit living in our hearts and shedding abroad this wonderful love of God. That's the mission of the Holy Spirit. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives to shed abroad this love into every area, into every aspect, so that when people hear us speak, they will hear something behind our words, something of God's love 
coming out of our hearts. When people see our actions, they will be able to behold a reflection of this wonderful, unconditional love. You see, God's love is an unconditional love. It has no conditions attached to it. It flows And wherever it goes, even if it's met by hostility and hatred, and even if wall after wall comes up in front of it, because it's an unconditional love, it never ever retreats. It always brings blessing and freedom and liberty wherever it is. And this love, you see, is inside us. This is the essential ingredient to life. This is the essential ingredient to a healthy church. When we're with each other, when we're thinking about each other, down throughout the course of time, if we are going to build a life that reflects God's nature, that reveals aspects of God's character to other people, it will be this love that is the foundation behind it all. It really will. I heard a story, I read a story years ago now in a book called The Hiding Place. I don't know if you've ever read that book. It was written by a lady called Corey Ten Boone. And she was imprisoned with her sister and friends in a German concentration camp in the Second World War. And as you can imagine, in that concentration camp, the environment was absolutely horrendous. And yet, a small band of them would meet in their room, and they would pray, and they would seek God, and they would, they would know the nearness and the closeness of God in the midst of that terrible predicament that they were in within that concentration camp. One day, they came out into the grounds of that camp, and they had to line up as they did several times a day. And as they lined up, the soldiers walked up and down mocking those that were in line. And one soldier reached out, reached out his hand to Corey Ten Boone's sister. And he grabbed her by the hair and he threw her on the floor. And then he proceeded to get the butt of his rifle and smash it into her body. She then, in pain, writhing on the floor screaming, and Corey Ten Boone going to her aid was then pushed back by another soldier as this soldier began to drive the butt of that rifle into her head. Repeatedly, smack after smack, until her sister, Betsy, died in cold blood on the floor of that, on the ground of that concentration camp. Many years later, she writes in her book that she was a traveling evangelist. She would go from church to church. Crusades would be arranged for her, and she would preach the gospel. The love of God, the grace of God, the forgiveness and the power of Christ's life that's available to all of us, His saving grace, she would preach it passionately up and down Germany. And she was seeing incredible, incredible Signs of blessing as people, hundreds, thousands, were coming to Christ. This lady was being used mightily by Jesus to reach out to lost people in order for His saving grace to heal their hearts. They'd been through a terrible war, and now 
the grace of God was healing those who were coming forward in the meetings. One night, many, many hundreds received Christ. It was like many of the, uh, of the other nights that, that she had led. Many people were, were changed and set free. But right at the end of the service, a man walks down the aisle to greet her. It's none other than the soldier that had beat her sister to death on the ground of that concentration camp. Corey Ten Boom, in her own words, says, I absolutely froze. I didn't know what to do. I thought in that moment that all of the, all of the pain of the past was gone. I thought that I'd, I'd, I'd gained ground after the years that had ensued as I pursued Jesus, but suddenly facing that man again brought all of this pain up out of my heart, and I didn't know what to do because I was a preacher of grace. I was a preacher of love. I was a preacher of God's forgiveness and God's mercy. And the man came towards me and said, Corey, can Jesus forgive me? She looked at him, and up out of her heart, in the midst of all of that pain, in the midst of all of that darkness, she said, yes, sir, Jesus can forgive you. But then he went one step further. He said, Corey, can you forgive me? Now imagine... Imagine the, the huge situation that this woman is facing as she faces the man that murdered her sister in cold blood. Imagine almost the impossibility of that. And in a split second, she has a conversation with the Holy Spirit, and she honestly said, Lord, I cannot do this. I cannot forgive this person. And suddenly the Holy Spirit says, yes, you can. You can forgive them. I will help you. Jesus said, I will send you the helper, the helper, the Holy Spirit. I will send you the helper. He's not the helper to help you with your dishes. He's not the one that helps you wash your car or mow your lawn. He's there to help you with the huge situations of life that are mountainous, that are insurmountable, that you cannot get beyond in your own strength, that come and stalk you and suddenly arrive on your doorstep and leave you vacant with no idea as to how to go forward and go through. And it's in that moment when you do not know what to do, that is when God says, like he said to her, I'm here to help. Oh, what a great God He is. What a wonderful Savior. What a wonderful Lord. She reached out her hand. She said, Sir, Jesus forgives you. He forgives you. And I forgive you too. In that moment, she said, something happened within her. 
all of that pain and all of that all of that darkness that had risen risen up in that moment that she thought that she was free of she was suddenly free of it she really was and she went on she went on into a new dimension of life and into a new dimension of living she forgave she forgave that man for what he did to his sister for us that seems completely impossible it is impossible without god's assistance if you talk to people about that situation in our world you talked you 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 read them the story many would just turn and say that's absolutely ridiculous I would have killed that person. I would have had vengeance. I would have won the day over that person. But that's not God's way. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. As far as the heavens are from the earth, so far is His thoughts from our thoughts. You see, but God's way works. It really does. It really does. I want to say this to you today, just a simple little thought, a simple little line, and we're going to take it somewhere as we look and as we consider what we're talking about today. For love to win, we have to lose. If Corey Ten Boone wanted to win in that moment where she faced that man who had committed murder in cold blood over her sister, if she had wanted to have won, love would have lost. But in order for love to win, in order for love to win in that man's life, even though his crimes were most heinous, in order for, that, in order for love to win in Corey Ten Boone's life, she had to lose. She had to sacrifice. She had to give in. She had to lay down. She had to put away her rights and her opinions and, and her memories of the past. She had to lose in order to reach out to that man and bring him into God's kingdom. I want to read to you this morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4, verse 5, and verse 7 and 8 to Paul's description of love. A very different description to maybe the descriptions that we might think about regarding love. A very different description as to what our world understands about love. You ask the average man and woman on the street what love is, and you'll get lots of different ideas and lots of different ideals, but all of them fall short. All of them cannot stand up to the tests of life. None of the, those ideals will ever bring you from a place of glory to glory, but it's this definition, this description, this revelation that will build our lives if we give ourselves to it. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 4 says this, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. 
Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, it doesn't think any evil. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Where there are tongues, they will cease. Where there is knowledge, it will vanish away. Paul's description of love, Paul's revelation of love, the love of God that's been shed abroad in our hearts. This was his words to a church that was struggling. This was his words, his appeal to people that were fighting with each other. Fighting in church, anger in church, doesn't just happen today, friends. I've got news for you. It's as old as the Bible itself. It really is. You go through the the letters of Paul in the New Testament, and you'll find people fighting and getting angry and saying things they shouldn't say, and their actions in doing things that they shouldn't do. And this was the situation in Corinth, a great church that Paul had planted in the most immoral city you could ever imagine. I love that about Paul. He didn't just go to the, you know, to the high-flying places. He went to the most depraved areas of the world. Corinth was the most depraved, backward, morally corrupt place that you could ever go to, and Paul plants a church there because he knew the power of the gospel. He knew what Jesus could do in the midst of people, no matter what the condition of their lives were. But this church was struggling. This church, they were doing crazy things. They were like getting drunk at the Lord's table. We've had communion this morning. And these people were turning up to church with a bottle of wine. And they were really celebrating that Jesus had died. And at the end of their celebration, they were lying on the floor drunk in the church. So there was a lot of stuff going on. There was all kinds of things going on morally. People had problems morally. They were sleeping with one another. And Paul says, listen, we're not to live like that. But Paul, what I love about Paul, they were using the gifts of the Spirit. They had an amazing ability to, to use the gifts of the Spirit and to perform miracles. They had an understanding of how to unlock the power of God by faith. And yet at the end of it all, They were still competing with one another. They were still fighting each other. Because, you know, your gifts and your talents alone will not cut it. We know that. So Paul, I love it, this this wise apostle, this father in the faith, this man that loved the church. He comes to them and he, he reveals to them the ingredient necessary the ingredient necessary to get them through, the ingredient necessary to make the church healthy again. And not only to make the church healthy, so that their lives would thrive and grow into everything that Jesus wanted it to be. And he begins to unpack to them everything that God wanted them to know about the dimensions of his love. He starts this incredible chapter By saying, listen, 
If you, if you don't have love in your heart, and not just human love, but the love of God, if you don't have this resident at the core of your being, you're just going to be like a noisy symbol. And they knew all about the noise of a symbol. The Corinthians could hear it every day as they walked down the street. Because the pagan temples of that time would bang a symbol, and in banging the symbol, and in banging the bells, they believed that it was a way of worshipping their deity, a way of worshipping their God. And there would be this tremendous noise, this, this banging of the symbol that the Corinthians were well aware of. But it had, no, it had no symphony, it had no harmony, there was no music in it. It was just a clanging symbol. And Paul said, you know what? If you haven't got this love that Jesus has provided for you, active in your life, you're just going to be like that symbol in your relationships. Just imagine this morning, we're in praise and worship, and I say, Noel, do you know what? I really feel led. Where's Noel? Noel, I really feel led this morning, mate. All the musos off the stage except Joe on the cymbal. We're not even going to do drums. Just Joe on the cymbal. That's all we're going to have. My goodness, what a strange meeting that that would be. You'd be thinking, what on earth is going on? And yet, lots of times we live our lives, that sounds completely ridiculous, but lots of times we just live our lives. Like I said to you last week, we live our lives with no recipe. Remember the cooking illustration? I haven't done any cooking this week. No, forget that. I was cooking cookies, remember? No recipe. No recipe. I just thought, do you know what? I'm going to throw caution to the wind. I'm going to believe that I'm a master chef, and I'll use any old ingredients. Just pull this out, pull that out. A bit of milk, a bit of flour, a bit of vanilla. Just chuck it all together, mix it up, throw it in the oven, cook it off, and then feed it to Faye and the kids. Do you know what? Faye threw it in the bin. The kids spat it all over the, all over the kitchen. But do you know what? When I saw that, this was, this, this, this was the thing that came back to me last week. I actually decided not to taste my own cooking. Yeah. It's amazing, isn't it? It's amazing. But lots of times, you see, we, we forget the recipe. We, we leave the recipe aside and we, th- we think, do you know what? I'm just going to make this up as I go along. I'm going to use any old ingredient. I'm not going to select the ingredients that God wants me to select and implement them and, and, and give them first place in my life. And I'm just going to dish up my life to anybody and everybody and expect them to taste in their experience my life and just accept it. Do you know what? Some of our behaviors, we wouldn't even want to eat ourselves. If we really thought about it, the anger sometimes that rises up in our heart, if that same anger visited our door, we would be disgusted. And yet we're ready to serve it up to others. Or, you know, a coarse word. Or, you know, a coarse action. And yet you turn that on its head and you begin to have that put on your table. 
you'd be screaming and dancing and shouting, blue murder. You'd never, you'd never eat that, and yet very often we're so ready to give it to other people. No, I think we should stand back. I think we should stand back and say, hey, listen, am I holding the right recipe for life? Peter tells us in his, in his letter to the church, he said that we've been given everything that pertains to life and godliness. You've got it. You have got it. You've been given it. But are you going to take hold of it and implement it and not just be a hearer of the word, but a doer too? And when I talk about you, let me tell you, I'm talking to me. This sermon, I'm not preaching to you. I'm preaching it to me more than anybody. So you're just hearing some thoughts that I'm having and some challenges that I'm making and some demands that I'm placing on my life as I live it. So please, please, I am not pointing the finger at anybody here because I have to walk this walk like you walk, walk it. But Jesus wants us to be blessed, successful. And for love to win, we have to lose. We have to lose. John chapter 13, Jesus is in the room with the disciples. He hands them a recipe. They are just using any old ingredients to get by. Who's the greatest? Argument, arguing, conf, you know, fighting, conflict. And Jesus says, what does he do to his, to his disciples that are divided? The same thing that Paul did to the Corinthian church that had factions amongst it, that were arguing with one another. He did the same. He says, I, as I have loved you, love one another. There's the recipe, boys. There's the recipe. Don't just look out into your world and say, oh, do you know what? I don't really like Peter. I'll go over here. And there's, there's people over here that don't challenge me as much as Peter. Don't confront me as much as Peter. I'll isolate Peter and I'll go to people that I like and, peop that, and the people that like me. No, that's not love. That's not love. No, he said, boys, we've got to get it right in this room. Before we go out into the world, we've got to get it right in this room. Love one another as I have loved you. He's saying, like Paul said, you've got to be patient with one another. That word simply means this. Patient with one another. What does it mean, that phrase? It means to suffer long. It means to undergo injury. It means to be afflicted by a person or a group of people. Maybe in your work, you've had to be patient. Maybe in your work, you have suffered long. You've suffered long. And God commends you. God sees. It may seem as if you're losing. It may seem that people have got the upper hand. It may seem that you're the butt of people's jokes. But you're being patient. And it's the love of God that's enabling you to be patient. They can't work it out. They've tried this way, that way. They've tried to come through the front door, the top window, the back door. And they just can't get to you. What is that? It's the power of God's love in your character. It's the power of God's love enabling you to suffer long. 
Lots of people want to talk about the gifts and the miracles. I'm all for it, friends. But I'm telling you now, the most glorious thing you can ever see, the most glorious thing, the most visible thing that is beautiful is the love of God dwelling in a human heart, being activated in the, in the, in the, in the, in the world in which it lives, in front of all of the conflicts, in front of all of the pressures, in front of all of the hardships. That's the most glorious, the most miraculous, the most beautiful thing you can ever see. It really is. Suffering long. But this is great. That's, that's almost like a passive quality. When love is patient and it suffers long, that means that you're being passive. People are challenging you. People are confronting you. People are trying to provoke you, provoke you, to prod you, to press your buttons emotionally. But you're patient. That's a passive quality of God's character in you. Isn't it wonderful? God is patient. God is patient. He's passive. He can see things that that hurt his heart. He can see things that with one swipe, with one decision, he could bring swift judgment. But because of the passive nature of God's character, he's patient. He doesn't act. He suffers long. He suffers long. That passive quality is in you to be patient with people when they tread on you, when they strike you across the face like Jesus said. That passive quality Passive quality. But also, attached to this passive quality is a very active quality. It says, Paul said, love is patient and is kind. That's an active quality. Whilst you're being passive in your patience and people are trying to press the wrong buttons and trying to get you to act angrily, you're always you're, you're, you're also actively and genuinely being kind to them. And in doing this, Jesus said, it's like putting burning coals on their head. Not to torture them, not to bring them down, but to win them over to his love. A passive aspect. We're only going to look at those two this morning. Patient and is kind. Oh, if you look at Jesus, all of, the, all of the things that came his way, he was a patient man. He was a patient man. All of the challenges, all of the, the angry insults that he had to endure, all of the things that, that came his way, he was a patient man. Sometimes we only look at Jesus as a man that performed miracles and did incredible things. He was patient. He suffered long with people. He walked the extra mile with them. He went to the nth degree to win. And not only was he passive, he was active. He was kind. He was kind. In order for love to win, we have to lose. Very often when you're being patient, when you're being tested, there is a side of our, our lives that wants to win, that wants to stand up, that wants, doesn't want to be patient, but wants to give as good as it gets. If you strike my face, guess what? I'm going to strike yours. It's not the way. 
It's not the way. Jesus, and hear me, hear me respectfully as I say this. But I, I say it because I want you to remember it. Jesus was a loser. He was a loser. An absolute loser. And you can quote me on it. Jesus was a loser. He lost his rights and privileges according to Philippians 2. The Bible tells us, Paul, in again another wonderful revelation, says about Jesus that he didn't count equality with God anything to be grasped. Let's read it. Philippians 2. And this is what Paul said, thinking about Jesus. He challenges us, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. He was equal with God, and yet he didn't stand on his rights on, on, on being equal with God. He made himself of no reputation. In my book, he lost. He lost. He lost it all to become a man, taking on the form of a bondservant, not just even a human being, but the lowest of the low. He goes from the highest of the high to becoming the lowest of the low. Jesus was a loser. And being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself. Let me tell you, do you know what? When you humble yourself, when you really feel that that. God is taking you and positioning you and cornering you into a place of humility. You feel like you're losing big time. Humility is not this quality where you think, hey, do you know what? Everything's good. I'm strong. I'm humble. Just want you to know this morning, I'm very humble. Man, do you know what? Sometimes in order for those qualities of humility to come out in our lives, it certainly doesn't feel as if you're winning. It feels as if you're losing. Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus humbled himself. Jesus was a loser. He lost his rights. He lost his equality. He, he had equality with God, but he chose to relinquish it. He lost his dignity as he knelt before those men in that upper room in John 13. They should have been washing his feet. He knew that. He's the king of glory. He's the word made flesh. But instead of standing on his rights, he's on his knees washing their feet. He was losing dignity. And even in their mind, they couldn't understand it because Peter stood up in contention because he had this winner-loser mentality and he said, you'll never do that to me. And Jesus showed him another way, didn't he? He lost in the upper room. Hours later, he would lose in a garden. Three times he's praying. He lost his friends. They went to sleep. He agonized in prayer. 
And then he struggled with what was before him because he began to see possibly for the first time the very depth of depravity that he would carry as the son of God. And he said to his father, Father, if there's any other way. But then what did he say? But not my will. I'm losing my will. I'm putting my will aside and I'm I'm embracing your will. He lost his will. Then he lost Because, you see, his intention was for love to win. If Jesus had stood up on his rights, if Jesus had had have wanted to secure his future, he would have never, ever gone the way of love. Ever. He lost his appeal to call for 10,000 angels to deal with those soldiers in the garden. He goes, into, he goes before religious men who trapped him. He loses all sense of defense. He goes before, he goes before Pilate. And as, a, and as a, a, a lamb before its shearers is silent, so Jesus was as he was on trial. He lost his voice to speak. And then finally he lost his life on the cross. Jesus was a loser in order for love to win. And love did win. You see, love is the more excellent way that Paul talks about. Love, it may seem today that you are losing. It may seem today that you're under the heel of a circumstance. It may seem today that others are winning. But lose on, believer. Lose on, child of God, because love will prevail, love will win, and love will have its day, and great will be your reward. It really will. There is no other way. There is no other way. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 20, verse 26. I'm going to ask the musicians to come. We're going to close just in a few minutes. Matthew 20, verse 26 to 28. He said, yet, he he was talking about arguments and how people jockey for position and their definition of greatness. And in contrast to the environment that the disciples had grown up in, in contrast to seeing what they were seeing, in contrast to the voices that they We're hearing Jesus comes with his word. And he said, listen, it's not going to be for you like it is for them. This is is what my expectation is for you. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, Let him be your slave. It's so unnatural, this life. It's so unnatural. It's completely supernatural. Life in the fast lane. Life in the jet stream. There's nothing like it. Once we discover it, it seems so absurd. It seems so impossible. But I'm telling you now, it's a reality for every, every believer that's in Christ. It's, it's, it's a reality for us if we will embrace it. 
He who desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Mark 8, 34 to 35 says this, When he had called the people to himself with his disciples, also he said to them, Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Or in other translations, it says, let him lose his life. And take up his cross and follow me. And whoever desires to save his life will lose it. You see, you can desire to hold on to your life. You can desire to hold on to your rights. You can desire to hold on to your arguments, hold on to your contentions, hold on to your pride, hold on to your arrogance. I'm a self-made man. I, I, I must express myself. I must win the day. They must understand what I think in this matter. And it goes on and on and on. And you can desire to save your life, but you'll lose it. Jesus said, lose your life, find it. Lose your life. Love will win. He will prevail. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. He wasn't just talking about preachers going around the world spreading the news of the gospel. Yes, that's one aspect of this, this verse here. But it's far, it's far bigger than that. He's talking about you and me, the people that observe our life every day, the people that are trying to press buttons to see if you've got what you say you've got. And when you lose your life and you lay down, you're actually laying down for the sake of Christ in order for the world around you to see him shining through you. And Jesus said, you know what? If you will have such an attitude, if this mind will be in you, which was also in Christ, which Paul talked about, you will find his life. Amen. Amen. Lord, I pray for every person here today. You see the challenges. You see the struggles. You see how the enemy tries to put roadblocks in our way. But like David, we want to be that person that follows hard after you, follows hard after you, that clings hold of you, that runs through every roadblock, that hurdles over every obstacle. Lord, that, that we, we, we soar with wings as of eagles. We run, not growing weary. We walk, not being faint. That your love would, would enable us, Lord, to to be that people that you want us to be. I pray for every single person here today. Lord, I pray that your living word would saturate our mind. Your living word, Lord, would just empower us that we wouldn't look back. We'd forget what's behind. And Lord, we would press on to all of the things that you're calling us into. Lord, there are situations in our, all of our lives in the past that you may be asking us to let go, just like Corey Ten Boone had to let go of what that evil man had done. She had to let it go. 
She had to seemingly lose in order for life to win. Lord, I pray for every person here today. If there's a person here today and they're held by hurt, they're held by pain, they're held by the past. Holy Spirit, thank you. Jesus, you said, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Indeed. Amen. I'm going to pray a prayer right now if you would like to ask Jesus into your heart. You want to trust him with your life. There's nobody, there's nobody, nobody even close that could even hold your life so caringly as Jesus. You want to give your life to Jesus, I'm going to pray a prayer right now. This love is going to come inside your heart. This love is going to heal your mind. It's going to heal you. It's going to enable you to walk in life in a different way, in a wonderful way as you give it room and give it access. I'm going to pray right now. If you want to ask Jesus Christ into your heart, then I want to give you this moment to pray this prayer with me. Just simply say this. Say, Jesus, right now, I ask you, please forgive me of my sin. I want you to save me from the power of sin from the power of what it's doing in my life. Save me. Set me free by your love. If you prayed that prayer while eyes are closed and heads are bowed, I want to give you a moment. We want to give you a Bible. Would you quickly lift your hand up if you prayed that prayer? I'm telling you now, the love of God is in this place. You prayed that prayer. Are you here today? I'll give you a few moments. You may be afraid. You may be nervous. We do this every week. We give people an opportunity to ask Jesus into their hearts. Did you pray that prayer? We want to give you a Bible. Quickly lift your hand up. I'll see it. You can put it down. And we'll continue with the service. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.